This podcast was recorded at lunchtime on Tuesday the 20th of April and at the time of recording all of the information discussed regarding the European Super League was correct, I think. Of course, I'm now recording this disclaimer on Wednesday evening and things have changed considerably, um, or for the better. However, um, we do think that there were some really great points raised in, in this show by everyone involved and also we must not let them forget what they tried to do. Therefore, we are going to leave the show as is um, for posterity and we hope you enjoy. Goes in towards goal header and it's in and Llorente has scored his first goal for Leeds United and Leeds have what they deserve, an equaliser, 1-1. And welcome to the official Leeds United podcast with me, Emma Jones, Jermaine Bedford, Matthew Lewis, Patrick Bamford, and his dog and his squeaky toy. How are we all? Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yep, good. All good. Your dog's having a great time there, Patrick. Yeah, he's been really naughty actually the last couple of days. He's destroying the garden. So <laughs> our, our, our gardener, right? Yes. He he's put in these like. You know, for plants, the the support sticks that basically help them grow straight or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like yesterday, Michaela went outside with the dog, and I'm not joking, yeah. He ripped them all out and just tore them to shreds. There must have been about 12 of them, and he's just gone around the whole garden pulling them all out and destroying them. Good work. Excellent work. (laughs) In one of their moods. (laughs) What what are you you lot planning? Oh, you're asking asking the wrong man. (laughs) (laughs) Green things. I knew it as well. (laughs) The dog's probably got as much idea as Patrick. (laughs) I don't know. It's just stuff to make the garden look pretty, apparently. Oh, nice. There we go. Well, well, it sounds like you all loved our chat with Luke Alien last week. Jay tweeted in to say, I have to say, as a very proud Leeds fan, this podcast has me beaming from ear to ear. To hear how much the boys love playing together and working together is very special. Jacqueline Hunt also said, brilliant listening, was chuckling away to myself as I walked the streets of Melbourne today. Um, Tim Hevelstone tweeted to say, listening to the interview with Luke Aylin on the LUFC pod strikes me he's a genuinely nice bloke, but then all the Leeds lads seem to be. Uh, they are all lovely, aren't they, Pat? We've got no bad eggs, have we? Nah, no bad eggs. You've got a couple of like iffy characters. Alioski, a bit odd. Um, <laughs> but they're all, they're all really good guys. So. What do you what do you make of Yanni's new uh, platinum blonde hair? I think he looks like Megan Raffino. So when he came in, I got the picture <laughs> up on my finger. I was like, "Is that what you're going for?" <laughs> the manager tried to make a joke about it. Yeah, it was a really long winded joke about how had he dyed his hair that colour because he had an older girlfriend or something. He was sixty. I didn't quite get <laughs> oh, it. But... Please, please say you laughed anyway, Patrick. Of course, everyone, the whole group oh. laughed. You have oh, to. Of course. <laughs> When a player comes into the changing room with a, with a new haircut like that, is it, does everyone just immediately like start rinsing them or are you all waiting for the first person to say something? It depends who it is. I think because um, Alioski always comes in with like, he's been known to come in with different coloured hair. So it's kind of normal now. Everyone finds it weird when he actually has his natural colour. Like it's like, why have you got, why is your hair like that? When it's not that, so with him, he gets away with it. What about if Pascal turns up and he's got blue hair? 
Oh no, get rinsed. He actually got he got a little bit of stick when he started growing his hair and that to he got to the point where it wasn't quite ponytail, but he had to slick it back. And uh, yeah. I, I can't remember who it might have been it might have been G, you know, started calling him Chewbacca. So <laughs> Pat, we heard Luke say last week that he thinks that you've got the worst dress sense. Have you yeah. ever walked in and just been completely ripped for anything you've worn or done differently? No, he says I've got the worst dress sense, but really I just go pretty simple, just a plain tracksuit or something easy to that's comfortable. I don't think I've ever been... I remember once, Adam Forsh, I came in in one tracksuit and it was a recovery day and uh, Forsh made a comment saying, oh, have you come in in your pyjamas? Like the thing was, no one else laughed. So I was like, should I, should I laugh here to make him feel better? But nah, I've never been properly rinsed. Well, hey, for sure, out, out of his pajamas, he finally yep. played a game. Yeah, how about that? For him. He's lifting trophies and all sorts. Yay! Fantastic yeah, great great for him. Huge congratulations to the Leeds United under 23s and their manager Mark Jackson, who've just sealed yes. the Premier League Two title and promotion to Premier League Two Division <laughs> One. That's what we this do when we have trophies out here. I'm sick of winning trophies. I'm sick of it. It's boring now. <laughs> it's an incredible so achievement. And it's going to see the under-23s going up against the top academy sides next season. Uh, Pat, am I right in thinking that the senior squad gave the under-21s a guard of honour? Yeah, we did after one of the videos. Love it. All of us Love in a line into the dome and just let them all walk through and gave them a clap. Were you getting any little, any little cheeky looks from any of the youngsters? Nah, to be fair, I think they felt a little bit awkward, like kind of walking through. But the, the main reason we did it, obviously a great achievement for them winning the league and stuff. But being one of them under 23 players is possibly, they have a harder job week to week than any of us boys because they literally, sometimes they'll come in to make numbers. They'll leave their training session to come in just to give passes in a certain drill that we need players for. And they'll be like there for five minutes, then running back over to their squad, then 10 minutes later, they've got to run back over. So the amount they actually sacrificed to help the first team, I think that that was probably the main reason why we made such like an effort and kind of gave them even more plaudits because they give a lot up for us and um, just wanted to let them know that we, we appreciate it. Did um, did any of the injured players try and try and sneak in the guard of honour? Was like Rodrigo and Forshaw there? Like, yeah, thanks guys, <laughs> thanks for that. Costa nearly Costa tried to grab it as they all walked through. He tried to just he was doing the clapping and then he tried to join on the back of the queue. He said, "I deserve a medal." Well, the team have absolutely stormed it this season. They've won seventeen of their twenty-two games, uh, which you know, like we referenced there, it does bode well for the future. So a huge well done to Mark and the players. Uh, there was also a lot of love out there for Lolo's ode to Bielsa's boys that of course he recited last week on the Leeds United podcast. Michael Asplin tweeted to say, great podcast brilliant to hear Bill's view on Leeds life and the ode to Leeds with the Brooklyn soundtrack in the background was pure quality. And Lynn Jennings on YouTube commented, just listen to your poem as a Leeds United season ticket holder for the past 42 years from the West Midlands. I have to say, I was totally blown away with what you said. Marching on together, my American friend. It was wow. great, wasn't it, lads? We all enjoyed that. It was good. Very good. And it was all in the delivery as well. I love how animated he is. Based on this week's news, I think he might be coming a Leeds fan. I'll have to wait and see. But we'll talk about that later, won't That's we? chomping at the bit. Right. Oh, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> oh. um, it's been a quiet week in football, hasn't it, lads, eh? Not a lot going on. Yeah. Um, don't know how we'll fill this episode. We'll have to make it a quick one. Shall we start with that Liverpool game? A great point 
first goal for Llorente, which was amazing. Was he buzzing after that, Patrick? Yeah, he's um, since he started coming into the team, or he was back fit and started playing. You saw him kind of open up a lot more, and he was he was relatively quiet when he first joined. And I think obviously it's hard coming to a new club, getting injured, and then not knowing anyone. But he's really come out of like stepped out of his own skin, really, and he's playing better and better each game. And he's like he's a good lad. His his English isn't perfect, but he tries. What's he like as a person? His personality. He's still quiet. He's kind of like an introvert, but um, he's if it makes sense, he's come out more than he was before when he first joined. If you know what I mean. He's like, he's still quiet, but he does interact with the lads a lot more and he, he tries, like, he's learning English better and better each week, so. Is, is there anyone who's kind of, you know, been his sidekick or his wingman who's tried to bring out the best in him? I think the Spanish lads try and obviously they helped him feel welcome because all he spoke was Spanish when he first joined. But and the more he started to play, the more he started talking to people, like, on and off the pitch. And like, I, I probably didn't get a word out of maybe got two words out of him the first like month he was here two months whilst he was injured and stuff because you don't really see him that much but now he opens up and you can you can chat with him and yeah he's he's I think he's starting to feel a lot more settled it must be it must be so difficult because as you said he's come over here English isn't perfect he's come into a, what is already a very close-knit squad you've been together for a long time he gets injured so he's not fully in training he's not on the pitch and also we've got COVID going on so it's not like you're able to go out and do a huge amount of team bonding has there been anything that you guys have tried to do in light of COVID where you've you've tried to sort of initiate these guys and get them to be able to blend into the squad obviously that's very difficult with everything going on but is there some special measures you you guys have been able to do to try and ingratiate these guys it's difficult because of the COVID situation I mean especially with the injured players as well because yeah the injured players you pretty much you won't see them if you're if you're with if you're training with the team, the injured players will be with the physio. They'll be in the gym upstairs, whereas we do all our gym work in the dome. And so you you might go a couple of weeks where you you only just see them in passing in the corridor or whatever. So you don't spend a lot of time with the injured players. I think that we've had certain things like with Pablo. Pablo's wife sent him in a cake as a surprise, so everyone got together and sang happy birthday in the changing room without Pablo knowing. And there's this big cake brought in. So little things like that to try and keep the group like all together and stuff but it's difficult just quickly what kind of cake was it <laughs> it, it was big it was like was a it? massive chocolate one I think it had Ferrero Rocher's on it and it was massive did, did, did the manager let you have any well I don't think he knew about it but oh. he might do now <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd said that she'd brought him in a cake I thought it was in like you'd wheeled in a giant cake and Pablo sort of jumped out of it oh, for, no, for, no, for, no. for your entry. we need to no. make this happen <laughs> we need to make that happen he just popped out of the cake for, for your entry. but imagine we had we had the so did that on I think it was two two days or three days before the City game um so Mark organised it all, organised the cake and Stewie brought it in for Pablo. And then it was Stewie's birthday. I think it was the day of the, was it either the yeah, day? Yeah, it was Liverpool yesterday, game? wasn't it? Yeah. And um, at lunchtime, all of a sudden started singing happy birthday. This big sparkler comes out into the, where we're having lunch. <laughs> and he's got strawberries with a sparkler in it <laughs> instead of a cake. <laughs> no cake for it. <laughs> was he grateful of it all the same? Yeah, I think so. I think he just kind of <laughs> laughed it off. And for you, Patrick, how are you feeling? Because obviously, um, three points against Man City, a point against Liverpool. 
Is there an element of you and your teammates? Do you feel quite kind of just liberated and able to play freely against these teams? I don't know, because there's still that kind of, whilst it's those, it's the games that there's not really that much pressure on because everyone expects the, the Man Cities and Liverpools to win. I think before the game, we still put pressure on ourselves. Like against City, we felt like that we could get something out of the game. And then the fact that we won it in the way we did I remember on the walk yesterday, me and Cal were talking and just saying, I, f- I feel like we can do these tonight. Like, I feel like if we get after them, we can win Like, win this. And I think that was the feeling throughout the group. And I was I was frustrated after the game, like really frustrated that we hadn't won. Like I felt as coming off the pitch, how, how have we not won that? I know the first half, they probably deserved it. But second half, we really like had them up against the wall. And it was just, it was frustrating. It was a weird feeling going into that, to that game, complete um, opposite of last week and and the first game of the season, where it was kind of like, oh, I just hope we play well, and obviously these guys are a different class to us, and I just hope that we we don't get embarrassed or whatever. But last night, I was just like, this just feels like another Premier League game. I just felt like they're completely our level, and there's no reason why we can't just go and and play and beat them today. I didn't feel any nerves before kickoff whatsoever. I think that's just like just a, a testament of just how far we have come that we are now, you know, toe to toe with elite Super League clubs. So it's good. Oh. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess um, unless there's anything that any of you would like to say more on uh, the Liverpool game, that kind of leads us quite nicely into. I've got something to say about okay, it. Okay, go on, Jermaine. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Um, why, why did you choose not to score? Trying to play uh-huh. one-twos off the crossbar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> crossbar challenge. I actually thought when I hit it as well, I thought it had gone in. And then seen it just drop off the bars. Uh, you did the yeah, hard bit. You brought it down. No, apart from that, you were fantastic, mate. Come on, wait, let's I move was, on. Uh, oh, I was just about to say, I was actually sick in my mouth yesterday in the, on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I was blowing you were, at you one were, point. You weren't that bad, mate. At one point, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I think it was just after I hit the bar. They broke on a counter-attack and I've literally sprinted back from our 18-yard box, no, from theirs to ours. And then nothing came of it and Ilan got the ball and like we started attacking again. So I had to run all the way back up the pitch. <laughs> and then we've just kept the ball at the like the back, passing it round. And like I thought I was just about to burp. So I just burped. <laughs> I'm not joking you. Like, I was just sick in my mouth. I was like, oh, that's disgusting. Oh. So I had to spit it out. And then the rest of the game, I just got this Off the field. Please say it was off the field. No, no, no. It was on the pitch, but it was only like a little bit. But then the rest of the game, I just got this taste of sick in my mouth. Oh, man. (laughs) Did you not go over to the touchline and say, I need a drink quickly? No, because I was trying to stay away because Marcelo, after I'd just done that run, I heard him shouting, Patrick, move. And I was thinking, oh my God, I'm (laughs) crying. I I feel for whoever did your post-match interview. They didn't know that you'd been sick in your own mouth, did they? Or the Liverpool (laughs) centre-backs. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, quite clearly you were were quite tired, uh, Pat. But obviously, you know, they came out trying to press us a, a lot and they were playing very high up the field and... And it looked like that took quite a bit out of them by the second half. Can you can you tell when the opposition's getting a bit weary and a bit tired? Yeah, I think you start to notice when it becomes slightly easier for us to play out the press. But then also mm. listening to the way they're talking. So as Fabinho a lot was saying to the the rest of the back four, like we're too deep, we're too deep. We need to get up. We need to get up. And you know when a team starts dropping off, you know it's because they're too tired to keep getting up and dropping and getting up. 
And he was saying it all the time and they just, and he was like saying, we're dropping too deep when I was running in behind, but it wasn't changing anything. And it just kept getting deeper and deeper. Right. So as soon as you start hearing them saying that, you kind of know that like, they're kind of getting tired. When you start to hear that, Pat, is that, is that an opportunity for you guys to maybe go up a gear or do you just keep playing the same way? Nothing changes. When I hear them say things like that, I just think, well, oh, keep getting in behind because they're obviously right. not enjoying like the fact that I'm trying to drag them back. So keep getting in behind and keep trying to wear them down really. And I think second half was kind of like a more of attrition really. And the fact that yeah. we did just keep running over them. And I think the later it got, the more chances we created. I know they had a couple at the end as well, but it was just like, as they got more tired, we started um, creating more and more. And have you noticed that a lot this year? In terms of like teams slowly fading towards the end of the second half, we've um, scored a lot of late goals this year, actually. Yeah, I think so. But I think in a lot of games as well, there's there's been times where the first thirty minutes we've kind of stormed over them, we've outrun them in the first thirty minutes, and that's set the tone for the game. And right. some teams, it's harder to do that against like Liverpool are an energetic team and really fit as well. So that was always going to be tough to do in the first thirty minutes, and it, it proved that way. Mm. I feel like with a lot of teams that, that sort of do that, there's been a couple of teams that have come out the blocks to try and unsettle us early on. Mm. And it's and it's worked a couple of times. Um, but if we can stay with them, you know, if we can get to, to half-time at nil-nil or one-nil, usually they, they, they can't keep that up. They can't sustain that. Yeah, there's, I don't think there's many teams that are as fit as us. I mean, you could possibly say Liverpool would be one of the teams that are, have our levels of fitness, but the fact that they're playing so many games as well, that's going to take a toll on them. I mean, right, yeah. So, out of the teams that are playing just the same amount of games as us, I don't think there's anyone who's close to our fitness levels. Are, are, you, are you concerned that we might actually, because we're quite good now, we might have to do a cup run at some point and then we'll just have, get more and more tired? I think that the way it's going, we might go into Champions League by default, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not default. You've earned it. <laughs> no, we've earned it. But <laughs> you've earned it. Right. Well, on that, lads, let's talk about the big stinking elephant in the room uh, for the last twenty minutes, shall we? Because the last few days, as we all know, have been dominated by discussion about the proposed breakaway European Super League. Now, Pat, I'll start with you because I know obviously you were asked about yeah. it in your post-game chat, um, you've spoken about your opposition to it. Can you elaborate on that anymore? I think the, the awkward thing for us as players and probably everyone is that we've only heard what's been released to the to the public. Like, I only know about it from Twitter and from Sky Sports News. So, like, I can't profess to know all the ins and outs of the details and stuff. But from what I have seen, it just it doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't seem fair on the rest of football. It seems very like elitist. And I actually saw, I think, I can't remember exactly word for word what Marcelo said, but how about in in all walks of life, like the rich make money to get richer and the poor just get poorer. So why wouldn't it happen in football? Because it happens everywhere else. And it's sad that it's true. That's actually true. And it's sad that it's true. But I think that with the fans and with the way that if we all come together and kind of stand our ground, we can possibly stop it happening uh oh here we go have you have you and the players <laughs> and, and your teammates <laughs> the squeaky toys going uh, off yeah, in the background <laughs> even the dog agrees <laughs> yeah. um have you have you and your teammates had a chance to discuss it amongst yourselves I imagine the general consensus is what everyone's feeling towards it yeah I think we were in the hotel when the news kind of came out about it and at first we were like no nah, there's no way this is going to happen 
I think that was on uh, Sunday night. We was just saying that this this can't happen. Like, there's no chance. They're obviously just trying their luck. And then the more it went on on Monday, the lads started going from this can't happen to wow, this might actually happen. And it was like it's, it just seems absurd. And without knowing all the details. It just, it seemed, it was hard to like understand what they're actually proposing. They were saying it's for the greater good of football, but like for all the details <laughs> they're released, none of it seemed to be helping anyone apart from the, those clubs that are involved in that that Super League. Yeah, the self-proclaimed uh, top six, big six in the Premier League. Um, Matt, you've got fire in your eyes, so we're going to come to you in a moment. Jermaine, what are your thoughts on this? My thoughts pretty much align with what Patrick said there. Um it's just for the rich clubs to get richer. Um, when you're talking about the possibility of not having any relegations or promotions, it doesn't matter how well or badly they do in the in their domestic leagues. Um, they will still be a major part of this um, elitist league, you know, to, to rival the Champions League. But my frustration with it is, the whole point of the Champions League, whether it's run correctly or badly in terms of the financial aspects of it, you, you've seen teams like Leicester City come out of nowhere and win the Premier League. And in the following season, they're in the Champions League f- through merit. You know, they've worked really hard for it and they're a breath of fresh air, a different team to play against all these um, amazing teams from around the world. Now, they're there because of merit, as I mentioned before. If they still win the Premier League they're not welcome in this elitist league, you know, the, the ESL, their, their nickname in it, which in my opinion is, is, is not right. It's not fair. But also on, on another part of, of the whole, um, those 12 teams, one of the reasons why I feel like they're, they're all getting together is because if you look at AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juventus in Italy, if you take those three teams out of Italy, you're taking away a massive major majority of, of the financial aspects and the fan base. You go to Spain, you look at Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, I think, are the other team. You take those three away from the league, exactly the same. Financially, it's not going to be viable. The league probably won't carry on, same with, with in Italy. If you look at England, where you're talking about those six teams from, from England, if they're taken out, it will majorly damage the reputation, the look, the fan base of the UK, and financially it will damage the the Premier League as well. I think, however, we have got enough teams to be able to maintain or kind of get back onto a a sort of playing field where we're financially able to make it work again. You know, it'll be, we'll have to take a couple of steps backwards um, and get used to a uh, however they want to continue whether, whether they want to continue with the Champions League as it is so you've got the promotion um, from the Championship to the Premier League and then you've got something to fight for I just don't see the point in having a a, a, a competition where you it doesn't matter if you win, lose or draw you're still, right. you're still in it next year yeah. it, it just doesn't make sense to me Yeah, is that it's not- just purely financial Mate being obviously now you're living in America, the whole concept of it seems very similar to NFL and Super Bowl. Yeah. But Americans, are they, do they kind of accept, would they prefer it if like their, their team could get relegated, the NFL team could get relegated and a small one could come up or how do they see all that? 
so the. Uh, the, the 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 thing with it is is that it is you're absolutely right. It's, it's very much an NFL American franchise model. Is that the kind of what they're proposing, and they've 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 made this this offer of they're going to let five teams come in on merit, um, which is the definitely. I mean, it's crumbs from the table. I mean, they're saying that these five teams can come in, and they've said that purely so they can get around. The FIFA rules that that means that you have to have some level of competition. It can't be a closed shop. Um, but the truth of the matter is that even if one of those teams miraculously, impossibly went on to win this, they would still get a fraction of the money in comparison to one of the founding 15. Even if one of the founding 15 lost every game and finished dead last, they'd still get a fraction. So it's a closed shop in all but name. The dice are rigged. So yeah, you're right. It is it is like the uh, the NFL in, in in that in that way. Um, and the thing with the NFL is people say, well, you know, if you finish bottom, then you get you get to go first pick in the draft. So it kind of tries to make it a little bit more even in that context. But we don't have a draft. So that doesn't that's not applicable in Europe unless that's that's the future. They actually want to get rid of grassroots football and they want to just make it maybe a college uh, university thing and just have a draft, um, which what that means then for the thousands of, of small football clubs around Europe. I, I don't even want to think about that. Um, and, 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 and I, but to your question, what do people in America think of it? When I first mentioned that, that you could not play in the top flight, when I first told my, my wife that Leeds were trying to get promotion back to the Premier League and she didn't understand which, what I meant when I said that, the idea that we weren't playing the big teams because we didn't deserve to at that time, she couldn't grasp that. And at first, it's it's like, what? That's insane. That's crazy. Why do you play? And then when they think about it, they go, oh, so you mean every single game in the season matters? So it's not about, oh, I've not made the playoffs and I've got no chance of making the playoffs. So these next five games are meaningless. And actually, if I finish bottom, it's probably better for me because we get a first pick in the draft. It's it's When they hear that, suddenly they find that very interesting. And they're suddenly fascinated by this new model where there's danger, there's peril, because that's what sport is about. It's about the highs and the lows. You can't have the highs if you don't have the lows. And and the emotion that you that you put into these sport these matches is because anything can happen. Um and, and Americans do buy into that. Um and and not to mention that it's not even you know, maybe, maybe everyone's going to be different, but from people I know, the thing about football that they love isn't even, I mean, it's not soccer. You know, the MLS is terrible. No offence to anyone playing there, but the standard is not anywhere near the Premier League. They're not watching the MLS because of the quality of the football. They're watching it because they love the entire culture of football. They love the fans. They love the chanting. They love the tribalism. They love all that stuff. All that stuff that when you sterilise a game, when you take away these life and death, you know, football's more than life and death. When you take away these these things, when you remove the, the the Man City game from last week, when you remove Chef United beating beating Man United, when you lose the magic of the cup, you lose everything that matters to this game. And 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 people don't won't know that until it's gone. I mean, I think people a lot of people do know that, but a lot of people who are backing this won't appreciate that until it's gone. And and we've sort of bought into this kind of consumerist notion that you can have whatever you want all the time, the best games all the time. And it's like Christmas every day. 
But the point is it loses its meaning if you get it every day, if you have it all the time. The fact that this season with Leeds United is so incredible and means so much to so many people is because we've had 16 years of shit. That's why it means so much. You have to have that before you can have it, before, before, you, can have, before you can enjoy the highs. And, and the problem is, is what we talked about earlier, is that football is becoming business. And, and unpredictability is anathema to business. And they're trying to remove any level of unpredictability from sport. But that is, by definition, what makes sport so brilliant. That's why we play. Anything can happen. And they're trying to remove that like they've removed it from music. Every pop song sounds the same as every other pop song. Every film's a remake. It's a, it's a, it's a formulaic blockbuster. They're trying to take it out of sport now. And, and I just think that once that's gone, we're going to have nothing left. And, and... And I, it frustrates me, you know, my, my, uh, I'm going to stop in a minute, um, because I know I'm boring everyone, but like, my, you know, my therapist tells me, right, that, that injustice is one of my triggers, that, that w- w- injustice makes me mad and leads to anger. And, and all I see in this is pure injustice that, that, that for so many people, particularly this year, you know, working class people, sport has been their only outlet and has been for a long, long time, not just this year, especially this year, but for a long, long time, they've, they've been squeezed out of everything, you know, without wanting to go too much into politics and stuff, but the gross inequality across, across the world and, and it's getting worse. And so many people had a refuge in, in sport and in particularly in football because it's egalitarian. Everyone can do it. You can go get a tin can out of the bin and you can play football. You see it in, 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 in South America and, and Africa and it's, it, and it's got so many people through so much. And these guys who are so greedy and have taken so much and squeezed so much out of the football fans that have made them and put them where they are. And now they're coming for football as well. And even the maddest Roman emperors knew better than to mess with the Colosseum. Like you just cannot keep squeezing people until they've got nothing left but football and then come for that as well. And, and... I just, I find it a grave, grave injustice. And I hope that, that that these guys wake up and appreciate that once it's gone, they're never getting it back and they need to listen to these people who put them there, i.e. the fans. And you can guys can all talk about it. Now. Yeah. Matt, you, I mean, you mentioned there the, um, you know, the small amount of people that are back in this, that they won't appreciate it until it's gone. But I actually think, unfortunately, the people who are back in this, who are having their pockets loaded as a result of this potentially happening, don't care. Because if they did, this wouldn't be a proposition right now. What yeah. has annoyed me is the fact that those people are currently, okay, we know who they are, Um but they're, right now, they are not the ones. They are faceless in this, i.e. they're not coming out and speaking about it. And actually, it's players and managers who were stood in front of cameras yesterday. And Patrick, I don't know how you felt about being questioned about this when, like you said, you knew as much as Matt, Jermaine and I from what you'd read. And you aren't privy to the information that these people who are organising this whole thing are you're not there in those discussions and yet the players and managers are the ones being asked about what their thoughts are on this yeah I think the fact is that all of us players before we became professional before we even got in onto the football kind of pyramid we were all fans like 
without a doubt, all of us supported somebody, went to watch somebody, had idols who were football, fans of people. And so we're going to see it the same way as every other person does who supports their football team. I don't think you'll. I don't think you'll come across. You might come across the odd few footballers who purely play for the money and think, "Oh, it's a chance for me to make even more money." But I, I'm pretty sure that the majority of footballers will think that this is wrong. You saw it with James Milner yesterday. He said it doesn't. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it. Um, and you'll get the same response from all from all footballers. I think the difficult thing is is when you've seen how Jurgen Klopp came out. He's he's trying his best to defend his club and stay in close with the fans, but he's put in an awkward position because he doesn't really know what's going on. He's in the wilderness. The same as when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out and was speaking about it. He's in the wilderness, doesn't know much about it, so it's not getting passed down. And Gary Neville said yesterday on the TV about how the, they, their employees, they're not even telling their employees their plans. So people, they're just getting laid with the shit almost. And having to kind of face it up, and it's nothing to do with them. So it's, it's just it's bad from the bottom to the when, top. When when I reference that they will regret it, I, and I don't mean that in terms that they'll miss it, because you're right, Emma, they don't care. You know, they look at fans as as, as a commodity, as employees, effectively, to be hired and fired whenever they want. They're not they're not um, customers to be served. People who have, have have created these clubs, they're just you know, they're just employees, really, and. Um, when I say they'll regret it, I actually meant more in the context of being on the sharp end of pitchforks. But people, they need something that's theirs. It's an outlet that belongs to them. And football is so much to so many people that you just... When, I just worry in terms of what... I mean, I'm being, I'm being dramatic, of course, but I just worry, like, what do people have then? You know, if they don't have their clubs to go to anymore, if they make it a sterile Formula One crowd that's just for the super rich and playboys to go and enjoy and and, and and the games are being played in Riyadh or, you know, Abu Dhabi or wherever, what have people got left? You, you know, I think you think you're right. And, you know, a lot's been spoken, Matt, about the fact that football, fundamentally, you know, it's a working man, it's a working women's game. It's it's And people, uh, fans, dedicated fans, work hard. They earn their money to come and watch their, their clubs, their teams, home and away. And these people that are, you know, proposing this European Super League, I think are so out of touch. And like you say, Matt, they don't care. They have no care for the football fan. So they just assume that, it'll be okay. They can do what they want. And as long as it financially benefits them, which seemingly, you know, that that it does, they don't care. They do not care. And I, that's why I kind of think that we need, we need to be, you know, putting people on the spot yesterday maybe wasn't the right, the right call. But going forward, we need the players and we need the coaches to, to fall on the side of the fans here because um, the fans have no power when it comes to these six clubs, because the people know that TV deals where the money is shirt sales in, in, in the far East and, and, you know, in North America and stuff, that's where your money is and, and, and sponsorship deals and all this kind of stuff. Ticket sales, it's, it's nothing for, for those big six clubs. And so fan power is, is non-existent, but they're talking about getting the best players all the time. If the players say, well, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want to play in this anymore. I would, when my contract's up, I'm going to go somewhere else. And and I know people say, oh, well, you know, they make more money. They're going to earn a living. It's like they're already making plenty of money. You know, it's not as if like they're going to say, I don't want to play. I don't want to earn a million pound a week anymore. I just want to, I'm going to go earn half a million. Sorry. And he's going to be on the breadline. Like they're still going to make money. 
But right now, the fans that have given everything to these players that have, have been there week in, week out, chanting their names and, and made them heroes and made them as rich as they are, they're hurting right now and they could do with some allegiance back. I think you're absolutely right. That's what they need to do. We need to see managers and players um, joining forces with the fans and expressing their true and honest opinions on this. I do think, though, that the players, you know, have been put in a difficult situation because, Patrick, as we've spoken to you about before on this podcast, you know, a lot of players, their dream is, oh, one day I'll be able to play for my country. You know, I'll I'll reach that level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hypothetically, Pat... If if you were told, right, you can't play in the World Cup if you if your team joined the Super League, how do you feel about that? You're, you're put in an awkward situation then as a player because, say for instance, you're t- someone at one of the big six who's for, who's going into this Super League, finds out about this Super League like proposal now, and they've got four years left on their contract. They're then in a sticky situation as to. Will the club let them, if they're a major player for that team, is the club going to let them just leave, going to rip up their contract? Unlikely, because they need them in order to, they're going to be one of the selling points to go into this league and and draw the attention that they need for this league to work. But then he's missing out, say that he can't play for his national team. He's then in a catch-22, like he's stuck. Like players kind of, at this point, players have no power whatsoever because ultimately they're kind of, leaning towards whoever's paying them like they can't disagree with it and they're stuck in that it's like a catch-22 really the thing about these clubs um, is that a lot of them are in a great great deal of debt because they've been grossly mismanaged for many years so that they can stay at the top of their respective leagues and get into the Champions League and now you know post-Covid they're struggling just like everyone's struggling or maybe all that money they've spent hasn't got them very far Um, you know spending hundred million on certain Welsh wingers that you couldn't afford and didn't play. But then like, that's your fault, right? Why, why, why is that the rest of football's responsibility to cover your debts? No one, no, no one covered Leeds United's debt when we went down. No, no one was thinking of creating a separate league for us so that we've survived. And also, it's all well and good talking about the financial impact that the last year has had on clubs, you know, in the very top tier. But what about every other club all the way down the pecking order, all the way down the football pyramid? And you get to grassroots and, you know, some of the future stars could be found there. We've seen Premier League players come up through the ranks and make it to that elite level. What happens to them? Because where's the money for them? They're just forgotten about. Completely, because no one's no one's going to be having academies anymore. Because why would you? And you can just go and spend, you know, everyone's getting, what, $3.56 billion or whatever it is. Who wants an academy when you can just go and buy every all the best players in the world? And also, Patrick, you know, from a personal point of view, you know, for you and look at this season that Leeds United have had, you know, and like Matt mentioned, 16 years outside of the top flight, you know, working so hard, you you and your teammates have worked so hard and continue to do so. And you've proven even in the last two games that, you know, a newly promoted side can take on these, you know, self-proclaimed uh, big sticks. And like Matt says, that is part of the magic of English football, of the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a thing as a footballer that you grow up wanting to do. You grow up wanting to play in the Premier League you want to play at the highest level you can you want to play in the Champions League you want to try and put yourself up against the best you want to eventually try and play for your country but it feels like you're kind of getting kicked in the teeth like 
you get you, for Leeds, for instance, you get to this point, show that we can compete, show that we can com- more than compete actually against the the big teams, and then through no fault of your own, all of a sudden the rug's just getting pulled from underneath you. It seems, and do not, and almost it's like, well, we've worked this hard to get here, and then this chance is just going to be taken away. So it does, it's just as Matty said, like this doesn't seem fair. I, I mean, Bex, right? You, you were you were a window fitter, right? And then. You're playing the Premier League. You're playing at international level for Jamaica. Do you think that's more or less likely to happen for a young kid in London with this league? Mate, less likely. Like you, you talk about me and my story, which is it's it is what it is. But then you look at uh, players like Jamie Vardy as well. He came through the ranks, and he's an unbelievable football player, a brilliant person to know as well got a, a phenomenal goal scoring record for Leicester City for England as well he's done wonders but if we if we move on to to having this this super european super league or whatever they want to call it you're going to be losing players like that missing out on players like that not seeing their true potential for me it, it's just it's mind boggling that this is even a real genuine conversation it really is it, it's so frustrating because there's not one part of it that's fair for for the league. You know, it it should all be fair right across the board for every team. No one team, two teams or or six teams, sorry, should have majority power. They shouldn't. The power should be in the league rather than in the the hands of the, the individual clubs. Well, I'm sure that you will want to have your say on that um so please do use the hashtag lufc pod and as always we're very grateful for your comments just a final word on that pat because you said after the match that you wished that football was as quick to react to other matters such as racism can you just um elaborate on that for us yeah it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of like a spur of the moment thing so this question got sprung on me but um i just felt like now everyone's kind of kicked up. I understand why everyone's kicked up such a fuss when something like this has been just thrown our way, like out of the blue. But you saw all of a sudden how quick everyone from UEFA, FIFA, everybody in those kind of circles reacted. Like it was straight away, we're going to do this. Not gonna, it's not going to be allowed. The Premier League, Boris Johnson got involved straight away, the Prime Minister. Like, this can't happen. We're going to do everything we can to stop it. When it came to, like, racism and things like that, you're seeing, like, measly, like, £10,000 fines and a three-game ban or something stupid. And it's, like, kind of swept under the carpet. But, like, racism isn't hurting people's pockets. And it's more serious because it's on a human level. And the fact that this is actually something that's taking money away from people, people are then starting to care and all of a sudden everyone's got their arms up in rage and I just think that maybe if we put the same amount of energy into not just racism but things along that kind of line then that those problems would be eradicated quicker. Huge respect to you Patrick for highlighting that at, at that time um, and using your voice in a positive way to speak out on, on those issues. Thanks very much for that, lads. Um, thank you for listening. Here on the podcast, we will never forget that the fans are at the centre of everything that makes Leeds United the club that it is. Cheers for joining us. Keep your questions and reviews coming in using the hashtag LUFCPods and we'll be back next week to discuss the game with Manchester United and much more.
We're going to have to bring a really upbeat one next week, can't we? I know. <laughs>